Hi, everybody. It's Joey Remini here from seekingbalance.com.au. I'm a vestibular audiologist and neuroplasticity therapist. And without a doubt, the fa my favorite thing to do in my workspace is to meet people and hear their stories and connect with them. And today, I have the great pleasure of introducing to you Anya, who was born in Poland but came to Australia as a teenager and she now lives in Sydney. So it's just really beautiful to meet you, Anya. So welcome to the call and thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hi, everyone. So Anya, like so many of my listeners and even like myself, has experienced some of these invisible and difficult experiences of dizziness, vertigo. I'm not sure if you had tinnitus or not. I had in the last um, three months. Yeah. The first so, time. Yeah, so it's like the mixed bag of lollies. We get the different mm. sensations and the diagnosis that Anya was given was Meldebachment syndrome and I think some vestibular migraine too, which are two vestibular conditions that do often go hand in hand because in many ways I would describe Meldebachment as like a cousin of vestibular migraine. It's almost like there's a relationship between those two conditions. For those of you listening who are like, that's just a big fancy word, what is it? Meldebachment is comes from French and it's literally saying there's we poorly disembarked from tip it used to be a boat but it can be anything it can be an aeroplane so we've been on some kind of long travel journey and as we get off we get those sea legs and we, we feel a bit wonky like we're still on the water or like we're still in the air or skateboard or bicycle whatever and the brain hasn't readapted really to land to get steady and solid so there's this kind of on off effect and for motor debarkment uh, folks they can actually feel better when they're on a skateboard or cycling or skiing or moving. It's like their brain's like, okay, movement is good. I can do movement, but when I stop, I'm confused what's going on. And you might think, what's that got to do with migraine? And well, they're both conditions where the messages from the ears are healthy, but they're going through the brain to a healthy brain and the filtering system there in the brainstem and the midbrain, it's like the filtering's not working properly. So the information coming in is being confused and discombobulated leaving the person feeling not quite right, dizzy, vertigo, tinnitus, whatever. That's just, it's not normal, but all of their medical results are normal. So they're like, why don't I feel normal? And it's got to do with this intermediate relay system, um, which I do describe on my website. If you want to visit that seekingballots.com.au. And I describe it in my book that I've just written Rocksteady. But back to Anya. Now, you know what Meldebarkment and vestibular migraine are and how they have a bit in common. What did it feel like for you, Anya? Talk us through the kind of the hard bit, the slog. Um, okay, the slog. So I guess it happened um, about four years ago. So my husband and I were moving interstate from Queensland to New South Wales. And we decided to take a few weeks off camping and hiking and, you know, doing those wonderful things. Towards the end of the holiday, we took a houseboat for, for about a week. Um, I got got off the boat and I felt like, well, symptoms are still, well, not the symptoms, but the feelings are still here. I still feel like I'm on the water. Mm. And that continued all the way through to Sydney. So um, it was actually a really difficult time because we were moving. I had a really new challenging job. Um, we had no support network in Sydney. We have no friends or family. So we kind of got landed and I'm feeling like very, very unsteady in starting this, this new job. 
Luckily, I think for me, and unlike a lot of people I hear um, talk about this, um, it only took me about a month to get diagnosed. Mm -hmm. I had all the scans in the hospital, MRI, I had balancing tests, and I had this wonderful urologist who said, look, you've got NDDS, you've just got to live with it, there's no cure, um, there's very little that can be done, but it might go away by itself, just, just ignore it. And uh, she actually compared it to a strawberry allergy. She said, well, you know, it's just like having a strawberry allergy. It's nothing, don't worry about it. And I thought, you know, that analogy is not the best because I can avoid having strawberries. I can't really avoid feeling the way I'm feeling. So anyway, look, it, it did go away. It actually went away by itself within a few months. But then, you know, life has ways of throwing challenges at you and, um, my mum got diagnosed with uh, a rare blood cancer mm. and it, within a year she, um, she passed away. Mm. Uh, and it was really stressful because I'd be working all week and then um, she, she lives in the States, so I'd be flying to Adelaide on the weekend to mm. care for her. Um, it was tough and the symptoms came back and they came back more intense and you know, worse. And with that, I got like, really bad anxiety and panic attacks, which I've never entire, like my entire life, I've never had these. So it was also something new thrown into that, into that equation. Um, I tried cognitive behavior therapy and tried antidepressants for a while. And then I just kind of learned to live with it um, and push through it, as, as you say. Um, and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it was just a COVID or something, just working from home and being sort of constantly in my own company, that I started to get really frustrated and really angry that, you know, three years down the line and I still have these symptoms. Um, I started to like really focus intensely on the feelings. So with that comes that whole hypervigilance, you know, you sort of wake up in the morning and you think, how am I feeling? Am I going to be okay walking today? Um, the whole anxiety starts again with, you know, you're ruminating about the past, you're catastrophizing about the future. Um, and I could feel the symptoms getting like much worse. You know, it's like this overstimulated brain firing, this busy brain. I started getting tinnitus, I started getting weird vision disturbances. It was just all happening all at once. Um, and I guess... Uh, I had a aha moment there, Joey. Most people have a once they join your course. I had one before. I was standing there in the kitchen thinking, this is really bad. I'm making this worse. Because I, I sometimes would actually experiment with the symptoms. So, you know, if I started getting like a, a swaying, I would spin a few times around just to see if it's worse. And it was, obviously. And, you know, I was just getting straight <laughs> and ridiculous. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, and I actually thought somehow I've actually fused the emotion, the frustration, the anger with my balancing system. Um, I'm, I was familiar with neuroplasticity before. I've got a science background and I, like, I'm a total nerd. So I, I read, you know, popular science books. Yeah, love it. <laughs> so I knew what neuroplasticity was and I thought, I think this is like, negative neuroplasticity. I've actually gone backwards and made my symptoms much, much worse. And I stood there thinking, okay, well, 
Good thing about neuroplasticity is you can change it back, but I have no idea how to do that. So I thought there must be some tools, there might be someone out there that knows what to do to fix me and put me back and you know help yeah. me to heal. And yeah, and I guess the rest is history. I started Googling and researching and, and um, I found you. Yeah. And here we are. <laughs> can I just say, first of all, I'm really sorry to hear your mum passed. And it sounds like you've done an incredible job supporting yourself through that because that's huge. And that does change our neurology when significant people change in our lives and friendships and parents, like these are big deals. So I just want to feel that with you and say congratulations for moving through that. And I'm sorry. And secondly, I love that you were playing in your kitchen with spinning and that, that is new, like that, that sense of play and curiosity is neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. And if you, if, if you haven't already, and the listeners too, when I shared my own healing story, that's exactly how Rocksteady was built. I was playing with my sensory system. And sometimes that means you do rev it up and it does mm-hmm. intensify and it does exacerbate. But we learn through fiddling with the volume. It's like, okay, I can make it louder. I can make it softer. I can make myself more dizzy. I can make myself less dizzy. And, and playing is actually part of healing. And it gives us our control back too, because we're not afraid of putting the volume up because we can put it back down again. So I just wanted mm. to celebrate that. I don't find it silly at all. I find it really key. And, um, and how wonderful that you're a science nerd and you knew exactly what to Google. Cause I don't think I've never heard anybody else say to me, Oh, I just Googled neuroplasticity and vertigo and dizziness and you popped up. Usually it has been a very long journey of putting the two together and, and learning that it exists. So um, yeah, I really hope with time, there's more people out there who are piecing it together quickly, getting diagnosed quickly and getting the outcomes they want rapidly. So when you did land on the Rocksteady community, what did it feel like for you doing self-study, you know, motivating yourself to log in and listening to peer group recordings and the bonus audios, all of that. Talk us through a little bit of, of how you and your science geeky nerdy self went. What did it feel like? Um, it, I mean, it, it was great. The tools were there. I could see that there was a huge amount of tools on your website that I could use. Um, I'm a project manager by trade. So I essentially treated this like a project. Yeah. Um, I researched. I went straight for the subject matter experts that were dealing with neuroplasticity. So I think there were like three key um, recordings that, that I listened to and I, I really took notice of. And the first one I think was just you explaining the six steps of neuroplasticity and you know the downfalls if you do it wrong and the tips. There was another lady, um, Kirsten something, she's a neurologist. Kristen Stevenson. And a lady. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, Lovely lady who deals with kids and with Kate, cerebral property. Kate Bain, and Dr. Kate Bain. Kate, yes. Um, and I essentially listened to all of that. And I also consulted Dr. Google as well. Don't hold it against me. But I wanted to know if neuroplasticity was used somewhere else um, in terms of healing. And, you know, as it turns out, chronic pain is another field. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sort of tapped into those resources and I looked at 
the methodologies and compared them when actually they're all aligned, it's all the same. This is what neuroplasticity or how you should use neuroplasticity is. And I then ended up uh, one Saturday night. Um, I remember I just sat there and I had all these thoughts in my head from all those videos I watched and I put everything onto one card. And it was kind of became my little go-to card, which is, I don't know if you can see it. Yeah. There it is. Beautiful. Uh, and it essentially kind of on one side, it has like the framework of how I should sort of behave and think and what I should believe in for neuroplasticity to work really, to work for me most effectively. And on the other side, it's kind of the, my strategies of what to do when I have the not quite right sensations and then what to do when I actually feel great. Um, and I wrote it out and I stuck it next to the microwave and it sort of sat there so I could see it at all times in the kitchen. And I also thought, I don't want it to be just this abstract concept that I write it and put it away and whatever. I actually want to know this and I want to remember this so that I can use it every day. And that's kind of what I did. So I sat there for the next week or so and I literally read it at my morning, you know, having my coffee in the morning. Um, and almost memorized a lot of it so that I can use it. Reminds me of when, it, when I was at university and doing like, um, what do you call those brain maps and concept flow charts and I'm cramming for an exam and I'm trying to memorize where everything goes. I'm curious, did you ever, or, or are you at a point at the moment where you can kind of throw all the theory and the, con con the, the content out the window and actually meet yourself. So in, in any moment, no matter what you're feeling, you're able to really hold yourself with loving kindness and care and meet yourself with like throwing the rule book out the window and just being with Anya. Yeah, absolutely. I think you, you progress from, from knowing that sort of the, the basis and the framework and the science and the tools that I've learned along the way of what to do mm -hmm. and to be, to be with myself. That's, I don't, I don't need that anymore, but I, I find it really useful mm. um, to have that still because mm. it's, for me, it's not just about rebuilding the pathways and feeling better. I think a lot of what's on there is actually a really good way of, you know, living your life. Definitely. It's about finding purpose. It's about find, having the right mindset. It's about being in the moment and all these things are really important, you know, going forward um, for everybody in their lives, I think. Yeah. So. In fact, as I was, so I'm in the final like publishing pieces of my book now and it's a huge, like, it's like you go, you go through, you jump one hurdle and then it's the next. Um, and so the, the last piece is taking all the final edits and getting the design team to put it into a final PDF and then your proofread. <clears throat> and we're at the proofread section. And so I have a new proofread editor. There's a new editor for every piece. And um, she has no vertigo or tinnitus, but she's like, your book is amazing. This is going to change the lives of everybody. She's like, I totally related to this book and I want to build new neural pathways. And I don't even have vertigo or tinnitus. That was just like a really awesome example. <laughs> she was so enthusiastic. Yeah. I was like, I'm glad you liked my book. <laughs> but it's true. And a lot of my clients who heal, and so they no longer really associate with the vertigo or tinnitus because they've really moved through it and overcome it. They're like, I still go back to Rocksteady. I still use the tools because when I have a new job, job interview or something scary or my, my partner gets some 
difficult illness and suddenly the household's full of stress and anxiety and I'm vulnerable. They're like, in all of these life situations, I go back to the toolkit. And also with the fires. So there's some of my clients, both in the Australian devastating bushfires and now in California and America, I've got clients who are like, I'm using the Rocksteady tools to get through the fires and through the difficult challenges and not quite right sensations that I'm experiencing in life, which is no longer about the diagnosis. It's about actually just being a human, trying to exist in a chaotic world with challenges. I think you were saying there's different challenges that life serves us. Do you want to speak a little bit on that yourself with, um, I think for the Maldedebachman, I don't say that perfectly, but Maldedebachman syndrome for people out there with that condition, if you could talk a little bit about the, hooking onto the diagnosis and then having to kind of let it go and become a new version of Anya. Can you speak a little bit about the de-identifying with the condition in order to make it a way of life? So I guess I, I never really massively focused on the diagnosis because it is relatively vague. It Mm -hmm. just really talks about your brain's not processing some of the stimuli that's coming in. So there's a lot of other um, disorders there, um, balancing disorders that have the same symptoms in the end. So you really have to focus on working through healing your brain rather than focusing on the diagnosis. So to me, that was never, I I never really worried if it's MDDS. Plus I could never say it right, so I didn't want to go on about it. (laughs) Well, I I just want to, I just want to interrupt you ever so slightly there and say that would have really helped your healing and recovery because when we are very hooked on our diagnosis and the labels and it becomes how we basically introduce ourselves to the world, when we really own the diagnosis, um, it becomes much harder to heal because everything comes back to how abnormal I am. And that big fancy word that the doctors have given me um, doesn't matter what it is, whether it's lab- labyrinthitis, neuronitis, many years, melded even tinnitus. You know, the more we hook onto that and own it and claim it, the harder it is to heal. So that gave you a little step ahead of the rest. So that's um, it's like a nice little bonus on the side that your pers- your temperament and personality puts you in a really good place to move quickly through neuroplasticity. I think so. Um, yeah, like. A- Diagnosis was just one thing at the beginning, but it's it's really rewiring your brain that's most important in all this. So, what would you say to people who just don't believe it's possible? Because I know they're out there, and I've met a few of them. But what would you say to those people who are like, "No, I'm stuck. It, I I can't change it. It's, it's can't be possible. It's too good to be true." What would you say? Well, I mean, I've done it. It's a double-edged sword. I've seen myself going through what I say, the negative neuroplasticity for about two months I was experimenting with it and ended up being a person that couldn't leave the house. I literally couldn't go to the shops anymore. I couldn't, I was mm. too scared to be outside. Even things like going and having a shower, I was just yep. frightened because, you know, it feels like the cubicle's moving. Yep. Um, so I know I actually remember doing it over a period of, of a couple of months of being extremely frustrated with it. So it's, I guess, you know, there might be people out there that don't believe that it can be healed, but they just have to try it for themselves and see. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a scientific principle. It's, it's not something that is just made up. So. 
And I think also it's in my experience too, it was really scary believing I could heal myself because there was a little part of me and I say little, cause it's like part of my younger inner child self in my psyche. And like, she wanted someone to fix her. She wanted some expert authority to come in and save her. Like, you know, the damsel in distress and the knight in shining armor. And she's terrified when suddenly she realizes actually no one else can fix you, Joey. Like you're going to have to figure out how to reset your brain and how to recalibrate and how to rearrange these sensations and how to move through it. You're going to have to be an adult about it. And you're going to like, there was a part of me that really resisted taking control. And that was very frightening and very scary. And of course I've had to do a lot. I continue seriously continue to nurture that part of me that, just want somebody to wrap me up in cotton wool and tell me everything's okay. And it turns out that that's me. I have to do that for myself. Um, and so I can definitely understand and empathize for people who might be listening who are like, well, if I need to fix myself, then surely it's my fault and I'm shaming myself because I haven't done it yet. And I really want to invite you to hold that story very lightly because it's not your fault. I didn't deserve it. Anya didn't deserve it. Nobody deserves it. And if you're listening and you're experiencing this, you don't deserve it either. You're not being punished. You haven't done anything wrong. And some of you may not know anything about neuroplasticity. And so how on earth could you possibly implement a science that you don't understand? That's not your fault. And so it's about saying, okay, I want to learn about how my brain can change. I want to learn how to support my brain. And I'm recognizing I'm a true beginner. And therefore, I need to learn in baby steps and be really gentle on myself. And I use the piano analogy a lot that we need to get a piano, get a piano teacher and be patient as we learn to play the piano. Neuroplasticity and healing with neuroplasticity is exactly the same. It takes compassion, courage and this decision that, no, it's not my fault. I'm not shaming myself. I haven't wasted any time. I'm going to very slowly learn to become my own expert. I'd love you to speak a little bit on if you had a, your own version of that, Anya. Um, yeah, so I think with me, uh, I have I had the self-belief at the beginning. Um, I'm very big-headed, sorry, but I guess I did. And I believed in the process from the start because I understood the process. My issue was my own language, my internal sort of self-doubts, you know. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the time there would be these little voices undermining what was going on, especially at the beginning when you're going through anxiety and mm -hmm. you know, this catastrophizing thing, voice going on. Um, I, when my mum was really sick, I'd taken on mindfulness and meditation in order to sort of help me cope with that. Mm -hmm. And at the time when I did it, it was just kind of on and off here and there. And I kind of understood the principles and I did it for a while, but never consistent, consistently. And when I started this process with you, Joe, going through the program, I could realize, I realized that neuroplasticity and mindfulness sort of aligns mm. because you are in the moment um, with mindfulness and, you know, sort of look at, look out for your attitude and your beliefs. And, you know, um, so when these voices, these sort of negative voices were in my head, I, I knew I could sort of step back from them. Or I tried to step back from them and kind of just go, they're just voices. They, just, yep. they don't mean, they don't mean anything. Um, and that helped me a lot. So I guess for me, mindfulness was, was the big one that allowed me to, to move on. 
Yeah. And I would say, just to add to that, I would say actually mindfulness tools, for those of you who have heard the buzzword, but don't really know what it means. Mindfulness in a nutshell is three major components. The first is presence. Mindfulness means just dropping straight into what is going on right now in this present moment. So having that present awareness with non-bias and non-judgment. So it's actually the foundational skills we need in order to begin neuroplasticity. So mindfulness is a part of the process. And I have actually had many mindfulness-based clinical psychologists and yoga teachers and meditation teachers go through the rocksteady process because they've recognized, okay, we've got those skills, but now what? So mindfulness helps us get to a place of, of presence and non-judgment and being able to see what's going on. But then we also have to know, okay, well, now what do I do with that knowledge and that skill? And I think the rocksteady process is that next piece of, well, what am I going to do with my brain and these error messages? Because there's only so much I can sit through life going, oh, hi, dizziness. Oh, hi, tinnitus. Oh, hi, vertigo. I'll just let you pass like the clouds. I'll just let you pass like our leaves floating down a river. We have to then actually enact the next step in the healing process. So does that resonate with you at all? Um, absolutely. It, it's, it's about hearing those voices, but ignoring the ones that are particularly negative. Um, I mean, I have an example from when I was really stressed. This is right at the beginning of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of anxiety. First time I decided to go to the supermarket. This is like, you know, a big thing. And I'm yeah. holding on to the trolley for my dear life because I was so worried that my symptoms would would appear or I'd get really stressed and dizzy and what have you. And I got all the way through to like um, the other side of the supermarket where I realized I needed eggs. And I thought, great, now I'm going to have to go back and get these eggs. And there were so many people here and I have to, you know, take my trolley and it's just going to be all too hard. And I had these voices in my head and one voice is saying, well, you know, let go of the voice, just go and get the eggs. The other voice, no, no, I'm, you know, I'm going to have a panic attack. I'm going to have a panic attack. They're going to call an ambulance or I'm going to fall over, like catastrophizing to the point of worst case scenario. Yeah. Um, but what mindfulness allowed me then is to kind of step back from that and go, they're just voices. They're just thoughts. Thoughts are not you, they're just part of you. Mm. Just go and get these eggs. So I did. And um, it was like Mission Impossible face, get to the eggs, grab them, don't even check what's in the box, go back in. But I was so focused and I was so happy when I did it. Um, And I even remember my little card at the time. And I thought, right, what do I have to do? I have to celebrate. Oh, you know, <laughs> if you challenge yourself, you have to then, um, and you know, you're happy with it, you have to celebrate. So I went and got some chocolate just so, you know, so I could yeah. celebrate. It's such, it's such a minor thing now to think about that. But when you're in that anxiety cycle and you've got all these symptoms happening at once, to even go and, you know, go and walk across the supermarket, it was huge. Yeah. So, And can I ask, body scanning is often a really huge part of neuroplasticity and I would throw in self-compassion as well. Have you found those to be useful skills for you as you're learning to navigate what you're sensing and feeling and what you're cultivating and rebuilding? Has embodying using the body scan tools and then self-compassion been a part of that? Massive, absolutely. So body scanning, um, 
I actually really enjoy doing the body scan because I have been doing meditation for a while, like 40 as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I was listening to yours. No offence, <laughs> Joey, but after like, listening to yours twice, I was like, like I'm bored of my voice. I need to find my own body scan. <laughs> so there are some amazing, you know, meditation apps out there. Um, and, you know, there's things like Yoga Nidra, which is a type of meditation that you lie down and you can do a body scan for like, 40 minutes or 50 minutes um, to the point where you actually have to know your own anatomy because they say, relax your left kidney. Like, what? what does that mean? <laughs> but having done those body scans, that mind-body awareness is such an important thing. And I found even with exercises that, you know, the balancing exercises that I said or that you said, um, being able to really focus and being able to know where your feet are, know where your body is, tune into your proper reception, tune into how the skin feels, you know, that allows you to really kind of progress with these exercises and make them fun as well. Not necessarily just, just because they're exercises, but actually that works so well at sort of at healing. Mm. So I love, I love the body scans and I continue doing it now as well. Uh, and I guess I'll just be, you know, be something that I always do. Um, mm. I had an aha moment when I was doing body scans. I kind of realized that if I can tune into my proprioception, I stop feeling dizzy. Um, takes a few seconds, but for me, it's almost like a switch off, switch off the not quite right feelings. Um, you know, just, just stand there and tune into my body intently. That's pretty so, much. That's pretty much the emphasis of the Rocksteady program. So that's that's un, that's not unique to you or me. That's all humans, because there's only so much the brain can hold. And when, so so just just to summarize as well, body scanning is not something we need an app for or an audio. Body scanning is something we do in ourselves, in our own mind, in our own body, with no device. Um, so you don't need to go wildly googling for yoga nidras or whatever body scanning is a skill we do for ourselves on our own anywhere at all um and it, and it becomes almost a dialogue in our mind where we start to go okay what am i feeling on the side of my neck and how am i feeling underneath my armpit and how am i feeling at the back of my head or how am i feeling whatever we learn to become more in contact with the world around us by physically feeling it through our senses and as anya said beautifully we start to realize when I get out of my head up here in the dialogue and the talking and symptoms, which are all actually really neural pathways pinging between the ears and the brain, when we can actually drop down into the lower body and feel our belly breathing or feel our hips or feel our fingertips or feel our feet, the brain then allocates information to that somatosensory part of the brain. It moves away from where the symptoms are being fired and living and suddenly we're like, oh, I don't notice my symptoms when I'm actually really genuinely feeling my proprioception and that's where intensity duration and frequency come into it when we're intensely focused on what we're feeling in our skin there's no space to notice tinnitus there's no space to notice dizziness and if if you're thinking no oh, i've tried this and i can still hear my tinnitus and i can still feel my dizziness that's fine and it's all part of the learning but that just means that actually part of your attention is on your skin might be 30 or 50 percent and part of it's on your tinnitus or dizziness you're actually um, splitting your attention and to truly move into touch I would say is is it, it, it's a practice and it's not necessarily something we're going to get with 
general yoga classes or apps or whatever. It comes when we really take it the next level, I think, and embody it as a way of life. And we get those skills happening. So we're actually really in control of our focus. It's a very inner personal journey. And how lucky are we, Anya, now that we have so many resources on the internet to help us build those skills? Absolutely. I mean, there's just much. There's so much. But you're absolutely right. It's all in your head. You don't need any apps to do any of that. Um, I know with exercises and trying to tune in, for me, it almost feels like, you know, when you see um, Olympic gymnasts when yeah. they're getting ready for their routine and they're like, super focused so I almost have to replicate that kind of feeling um, like really focus on my body um, yeah. but yeah. also playful like I, yeah. I don't want to have a fixed mindset mm -hmm. um, with exercises and I think this is where that Dr. K came in and yeah. it was really insightful and she was talking about kids and how the brain is brain after plastic mm -hmm. and obviously they go for neuroplasticity every day when they're learning but they learn through play. So I really took that on. And I thought, well, I have to become a lot more playful and a lot more sort of happy and joyful when I do these exercises. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's that combination of intense focus, like an Olympiad, but yet being like a, a little kid. Um, and, you know, like the babies when they're trying to walk and they, they get up and they fall down and they get up and they fall down, but they don't get upset about it. So yep. we shouldn't either. If, we're, if you're doing an exercise and you're, you're trying to move your head from left to right with your eyes closed and you're feeling dizzy. Don't get frustrated. It's just, you know, it's play. It's, well, it's a, fun. And this is where I think coming back to our desired sensations, which I know you said it was not a big part of the process for you. That actually may become a bigger part down the track as you kind of spiral down into just getting deeper and deeper into neuroplasticity. Cause I know I'm still playing with this. It's like, I definitely don't have symptoms anymore. If they do come back, I don't care cause I know what to do about them. Mm. But I'm constantly playing with, all right, well, how can I make my brain better? How can I improve my life more? And so I'm constantly playing with new desired sensations and some things, it's awkward in the beginning. Like, you know, I, I had this idea of welcoming more blissful sensations into my life where originally I would have been like, bliss is just a hippie word and it's not possible and like, whatever. I would have really rejected and resisted it. And as I went through birth and was getting all these natural hormones and it was just really ecstatic, I was like, oh, well, can I, can I keep practicing this ecstasy, this bliss? And can I stay with it? Can I be open to it? And then, of course, the inner work is, well, what part of me was resisting it and not feeling worthy of it and not believing it's possible? And the other part of me is like, well, how can I play with this? And how can I be okay to lose it? How can I be okay to grow it? How can I be okay with any outcome? And then, like you're saying, play with desired sensations and be a little awkward about it. You know, it's like when we're teenagers and we're having our first kiss, it's awkward. Anything that's new is awkward. And I think being okay with awkwardness rather than judgmental and resistant and feeling like, well, we should be blissful right now. It's like, well, actually, no, it's awkward learning how to let those neuroplastic or sorry, neural pathways develop. So I think play is an amazing approach and also embracing awkwardness because any kind of new transition is awkward doesn't matter what it is and so embracing awkwardness i found really helpful and a new word to add to the vocabulary instead of not quite right you can just say i'm awkward this is awkward I haven't walked to the post office for a while so i feel awkward 
like really normalize the process I think is really helpful. Um, but yeah, it just, it sounds like you had such an amazing foundation to step into neuroplasticity in that you had great self-awareness. You had a mindfulness and meditation, strong background. Had you ever tried yoga or any other embodied athletics? You said you did some type of athletics. Yeah, I have. Um, I loved yoga when I used to do it, but I've got really bad knees. So yeah, every, every time I do yoga now, my knees start collapsing for some reason. So I'd love to do it again. But yeah. As a yoga teacher, you can work with that if you want. Okay. There's special things. There's special things we can do to help our knees, especially if they're um, I've forgotten the word hyper flexible hyper extension. Yeah, hyper extension. Mm. So there's props we can use to help rebuild that strength in the knee um, and elbows. Some people have it in the elbows. Um, so if that's something you you want to that brings you joy, you can definitely use neuroplasticity there too. So I think we're going off topic, but what would you say to people with vestibular migraine and Mulder Bachman? Their question is, have you healed? Do you still, do you, do you, you know, whatever, do you, do you feel, what do you feel with it? You talk them through. And um, what do you mean as in what do I feel now or? Yeah. Now that, now that you've learned about neuroplasticity, you've played with your symptoms and sensations, you've learned to turn the volume up and down. How do you feel in yourself moving forwards? Um, with those conditions? Um, I feel pretty amazing. I think this process, it's not just about, you know, heal, curing a symptom at all. I've, uh, it's more about once you've healed the actual symptoms and you're not feeling them as much and you've got tools to, uh, to manage it when they do come out, there is so much more with that as well. You can, you know, um, you, you learn through the process how to, um, what you can do if you change your mindset, what you can achieve if you change your mindset. You learn to reset your goals, and I have done that. So I've actually reset my own life goals. Amazing. So, you know, dizziness is like blah, don't care about that now. I, I, care, about, <laughs> <laughs> I care about going going forward and looking at, you know, what's my purpose in life? How can I make my life more purposeful um i'm inspired i'm actually inspired by this course i'm thinking of even potentially changing uh professions or at least doing some voluntary work in this space fantastic because it's, it's, it's amazing so i think i think you have a natural capacity so i encourage you to definitely explore how you can maybe take it to the next level and i think as as we go through it it's like an apprenticeship and going through it, I think, is the best way to learn what it is. Because you, you can read about it in a book, but to actually feel neuroplasticity take effect and to feel like, oh, my God, I have an internal volume control. I have an internal intensity control and mm -hmm. I'm in control of it. That's really powerful. And that then, I think, enables us to not only be a better version of ourselves, but also to potentially have the conviction and the understanding to support other people who might be feeling helpless, hopeless, and powerless. And we can be like, no, there's like other tools you can learn. There's other things you can do. Like it happened to me. And so it's, it's great. If you're feeling that motivation to contribute mm -hmm. back, that's really exciting. Absolutely. Uh, massively. Um, and that's part of the reason that I'll probably post it on Facebook, um, a lovely Facebook page, but even doing something like a neuroplasticity book club, um, where people can support one another and maybe we read something together and dial in and have a chat. 
I would love to do that. I'd love to be able to contribute in some way to this. Great. I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. So my book, Rocksteady Healing with Healing Vertigo or Tinnitus of Neuroplasticity, it's coming out mid-November and pre-orders open late October this year, 2020. It's 10 chapters and there's, I've also got some research in there for you, Anya, for people who are interested in the science and there's some dorky graphs as well. But at the, at the back of the book, after our dorky graphs and research, which by the way, showed that symptoms statistically and significantly improved for um, participants who completed all six modules of Rocksteady. And those improvements were seen regardless of their age, their gender, their diagnosis, and regardless of the time since onset of symptoms, which means it didn't matter if they'd had symptoms for 12 months or 10 years, they were still seeing improvements. So it was just, it's amazing what we're seeing as the research unfolds. But anyway, after that, in the back of the book, there's actually book club suggestions. And I, I have got a, a set of questions, things for people to go through and reflect on in every chapter. And um, I highly actually recommend that people do engage in a book club. And I'll also be hosting a Rocksteady book club for a few special people that want to join that. So Anya, do you have any parting words of wisdom? Wisdom. I think for people that are just starting off, please believe in the process because it absolutely works. Be strong, be positive, and be excited because you come out the other end uh, a changed person. Yeah. And there is nothing more certain than that because I think we do change ourselves. And I think Anya touched upon this really beautifully. Those changes aren't always what we want, they're not for the better. And understanding neuroplasticity, holistic, integrative neuroplasticity, that's conscious, that we are choosing for ourselves the kind of person I want to be, the kind of body I want to live in and how I want to talk to myself and treat myself. When it becomes conscious, I would say in 100% of cases, people come out the other side feeling very blessed, much stronger, much more connected, much more aligned with their values, feeling better relationships in the world. Like it's, it's not just about symptoms, it's about the whole person thriving and i think what anya's really touched upon is if we don't know what we're doing or how we're doing it the neuroplasticity is actually still happening it's just that sometimes it's happening through an, a, a spiral of of symptom catastrophization and i went through i had a hard four years so i had some of that neuroplasticity happening in me which was really uncomfortable and honestly left me feeling quite suicidal and alone but all of that doesn't matter, it's reversible. Once we learn how to use neuroplasticity, we can get excited. I think it's very appropriate to have hope and to take it in baby steps because just like learning a piano, we don't play Mozart overnight. It's a learning, a trialing, an er trial and error, it's practice and it's figuring out what do I feel? How do I support myself through this feeling? What do I wanna feel and how do I bridge that gap? And I think we said before we hit record, it's lifelong. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm thrilled that you've got your cheat sheets, your little cards that you can draw upon anytime you need. Um, and thank you for being a part of the Rocksteady community. We might hear from you in our Facebook group, Rocksteady for Vertigo and Tinnitus, which everybody's freely welcome to join. It's a closed group, but it's open to the public. If you want to learn more about my program, Rocksteady, just jump on seekingbalance.com.au. 
you'll find lots of information from free resources to the seven day support program and then the full comprehensive rocksteady program my book is coming out very soon so mid-november 2020 the book launch is again open to the public everyone's welcome to join I invite you to subscribe to my YouTube channel if you like, enjoy hearing my conversations. You can review my Apple podcast, my iTunes podcast. Um, and of course, you can sign up to my free live monthly call series. So there's lots of ways to touch base and to be part of our community. Um, and yeah, I suppose I just want to finish off by saying to those listening, hold your diagnosis slightly. I think when you feel ready, Embrace the science, get to know that geeky, nerdy part of you that just wants to understand how things work. And I think Anya's had a real blessing that that sounds like that came really easily for her. And if it feels intimidating, it can be fun, it can be playful. And certainly the Rocksteady program and my book I've written is very easy to read, very layperson, very approachable. So um, I hope that everybody listening finds a way to play and a way to enjoy their body. So it's a little bye for now. And thank you so much, Anya. Thank you very much. Bye.